Blog Talk Radio. And good afternoon, and welcome to our Men and Women Marriage Conference for 2021. Um, we would like to thank everyone for tuning in and joining in this afternoon um, on Saturday. Uh, we are so delighted to uh, be bringing you a our first marriage conference um, online, online virtual conference. And so the purpose of the conference is to be able to help individuals in areas of their relationships. Um, Many of times we um, um, experience things where um, individuals are going through. um, They don't know, they don't have the answers. Sometimes it's in the church and sometimes it's not in the church. Sometimes it's in business. Sometimes it's not in business. Um, Individuals... uh, you know, transpire and go through a lot of things. And so um, that's the purpose of we having it so individuals can be able to get the tools, the knowledge, and the resources. I feel that once we learn how to apply things of what we hear, we are better um, um, served that way so we can be able to know um, the difference. You know, a lot of times, even within the church, we do not. <laughs> Feel that we need, uh, you know, areas that are need to be shaped and and um, um, I guess um, tightened up and what have you. But we do, we do, we 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 are in areas where we need things um, to be um, fixed for us. But a lot of times we try to fix it through different avenues. We try to fix it through different ways. We try to fix it through different uh, 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 other reasons, and then we still don't know how to um, talk. We don't know how to talk about um, the things that uh, that we go through and that we face. And so that is the purpose of the Men's and Women's Conference on this afternoon. We're going to start out, and we're going to um, um, put you on a commercial break for a second, and we'll be back with you in a moment.
Okay. Right. And good afternoon, and we do have our guest speakers that are in the studio with us. And uh, good afternoon to uh, Dr. Uh, to Dr. Nicole Davis, as well as her husband Tony Davis. Hello. Good evening, afternoon. <laughs> Hello. Oh, great, great. Thank you all for being um, our guests on this afternoon. I kind of already did like a little dialogue of um, actually um, the purpose of the event on this afternoon, and I've already explained to the audience um, exactly as to the reason why this is so very important um, in the Christian church. And so we're going to just let you all introduce yourselves, and then we're going to give you the platform, and it belongs to you at this time. And so... Um, either one can be able to start um, with the um, with the, um, the program or the event, and then we can be able to go from there. I'm just going to let you all flow how you feel, and then it's not going to be basically like an interview, but a conversation as to um, the audience. So the floor is yours, and first of all, we're going to start out with um, uh, Mr. Tony. And you let the audience know a little bit about you. We're going to get an introduction of the both of you so the audience can be able to know how you are, um, um, are in your fields and occupations in regards to the event. Okay, well, first and foremost, uh, once again, good afternoon, and thank you for having us. It's, it's an honor for us to be here. Uh, my name is Tony Davis. I've been married to, you guys can't see her, but this beautiful lady, <laughs> Nicole Davis, for almost yeah, this this year we're working on 30. 30. Yeah, we, we've been together for uh, quite a long time. Um, we have two adult children. Um, they are ages 27 and 23. Um, we love the topic of marriage and family and, and individual responsibility. We, we kind of lump them all mm-hmm. in together because we think there are some synergies there that um, mm-hmm. are be important, and you can't have really – success in one without the other. Um, mm-hmm. We have an organization at Power to Engage where we do marriage um, coaching, we do family coaching, we do career coaching, and we help people w- within their individual endeavors as well. Um, we do a lot of the things that we do in this particular arena, uh, we, we do it together. We, we do it together because we, okay. because we think that doing it as a team is extremely important because there are no solo acts when you when you're talking about unity and you're talking about oneness. You have to have two people who are coming together as one, and and as the people on this call, they will understand it because it's a Christian organization. We we, we do things from a biblical perspective, and the Bible talks about becoming one flesh. So we ex- make sure that we exemplify the one the one fleshness and, and the singleness of mind and the unity in our um, individual lives and our collective lives that we call ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And great, since- great. That is oh. Go ahead, Dr. Uh, yes, and then for me, uh, Ditto, most of his life story is mine because one of the things we joke about is the fact that we've been together all of our adult, adult lives. We actually met in the military. Mm-hmm. We both served in the Navy and met in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And so what we've been able to do since then, I mean, because we were literally teenagers. Well, I was, I was old, I'm older than you, yeah, so you're, you're I was old, 20. Old, yeah, you're <laughs> I was met, Cougar. Mm-hmm. and so, 
And so um, we've, we've been able to do this thing called Life Together, which has been extremely wonderful. Um, in addition to that, I for the federal government, I love the veterans. I work uh, with a lot of veterans. I work with a lot of uh, employees and managers who serve veterans. And so a lot mm-hmm. of the skills that I have, my background being social work and being conflict resolution, a lot of those skills have served very well in marriage and in parenting and um, we've been able to use those also in the writing of our books, and we can talk about that later. Okay, okay, great, great. So which one wants to uh, start out? Uh, I'm going to be able to share some of the topics with the audience at this moment. And so some of the topics that they're going to be talking about, they have already stated, first of all, about marriage. They've been glued together for 30-something years, okay? So that's, the, that's what we want. I, I feel that when it comes to counseling, I do not get into the arena of counseling a husband without talking to the wife where she, while she is there because I think it's a miscommunication. So, uh, you know, I like this energy between the both of you, and so when I saw it, I'm like, okay, this would be a perfect fit. We'll just go ahead and just do a men's and women marriage conference. That's awesome. So we're going to be talking about a different uh, a few topics today and uh, this afternoon, or will they will be talking about it. And so some of the topics uh, is in regards to how to maintain a role as a wife, uh, you know, be, be quiet sometimes, how to maintain a role as a husband. Okay, you got to humble yourself sometimes too. Okay, creativity within the relationship, how to keep the flames burning, submissions of both husband and wife, coping with blended children, how to collaborate with new family members that are introduced to a relationship, what keys are pertinent from a marriage entered a marriage entering the altar before the altar and the importance of maintaining marital vows. That's not limited to the topic. However, the the marriage they can be able to flow and operate into their own uh, because this is a total Christian platform as well. So, you know, we want you to be open. We want you to be free. And, however, I feel that the spirit of God leads you have the floor. So whoever is ready to start out, go ahead. Okay. Well, we're going to tag team this a little, if you don't mind. We're going to go back and just volley it to one another as we go along to hit all of the areas that you would like and then any other questions that come up as we go along. So I can start first. Uh, When we think about, or, you know, babe, chime in when you want, but how to maintain a role as a wife. Uh, Where's my place? And, of course, when you, if you don't take the time to go through some type of marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, or even pre-engagement counseling, which is what we like to uh, focus on, and that's the area where we like to serve people, it is important to learn that up front. And if for some reason you didn't get a chance to have these conversations in some form of pre-preparation for marriage, um, what we agree to, what Tony and I agree to, is that we are side by side. It's not a he's in front, I'm behind, because we're a team, mm-hmm. and it's a partnership, mm-hmm. and we set the direction and the vision for our family together. And because we believe that we both have characteristics and abilities and wisdom that's necessary for our family, we depend on one another to help in determining what we need to do, which direction we need to go, how to handle this particular area, because all of what we both offer enhance the marriage and the family. 
You want to add something? Yeah, yeah. To and, and, but when you think about like just the roles and the places, I, I mean, I can just jump in. And, and I use this analogy a lot, when, when, especially when I when I talk to men. Um, but I know you're talking about the wife's role right now. But just thinking about it, so a lot of times we have to understand what the other person brings to the table, right? And when I look when I look at Nicole's role, even though she is my wife, just as importantly, she's also God's daughter. So I must make sure that I'm not mistreating his daughter and, and my relationship with her, and I need, I need to make sure that I'm an asset to her life, and I can get into that, to that in a second. But when, it, when you're talking about walking beside the person and roles and what's a place, so a woman, let's say you have a woman who's very good at good with math, and maybe she's been so talented that she's been even a CPA in her organization, or she may work in corporate finance, or she may, I don't know, she may manage billion-dollar projects, Right. And then you may have a mm-hmm. – she may be married to someone who may not necessarily possess those skills, but let's just say he's our um, resident, I don't know, G. Garvin or Emerald or whoever your, Cook, your, what your favorite male <laughs> chef is, right? Do you, do you go into the relationship telling the man that, I know your wife's a CPA and she manages a hedge fund, but you have to manage the money. But, because you're the man. Because you're the man. And um, now by the same token, hey, lady um, – you have to cook, even though you can't boil eggs. But and he's and he's a world-renowned chef. But now you need to cook because you're in the house together. So we 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 start talking about roles. I think a lot of times we need to realize you got to look at the gifts that the other person brings to the table and, and understand that it's not always a bright line test. Even though we may have some cultural uh, things in society that um, may dictate some of those things, but what we really need to understand is who we are and who they are and say, okay, we're going to function together. Because sometimes it's just not practical, and then you'll find that those people, they'll be struggling because they have some societal pressure put on them when it's really not who they are or Mm -hmm. not maximizing the gifts that they bring to the table. And I think to add to that, it's also important because you're giving a very practical look at it from the natural. But from the spiritual aspect of it, we both have callings and assignments on our lives. And so... Knowing that up front, especially individually, the man and the woman, the woman should know what it is that God has called her to do, what it is that she's gifted and talented in, because she needs someone who is enhancing that and who will encourage her and and support her in that. So as I'm taking my quote-unquote role in the marriage, I can't neglect what I know God has called me to do in, to, in the kingdom, to advance the kingdom. So our having conversations about how best to do that for both of us is important. It's extremely important because you, you always want the, the person the person in your relationship to feel valued. Right. And I think that's one of the things that, that we um, traditionally seeing, see missing. And a lot of times, and look, you said this is a Christian form. A lot of times we see a lot of Christian couples, they'll struggle behind the scenes and then they'll try to fake it in public because they don't, they, they're trying to, apply things that they really don't know how to, to apply, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they've learned it even in Christian conferences, Christian teachings, and say, well, I don't know how to do this, mm-hmm. and I have to put on the happy mm-hmm. face. But the reality is I don't feel valued. I don't feel special, and I'm not being enhanced mm-hmm. in my relationship. So what's the, the role, the, the woman's place? The woman's place is really to help. Your place is to help enhance me, but by the same token, I have the same place to help enhance you, right? Well, what's your role? I guess this is a good time for you to talk well, about that. Well, the question for the man was, <laughs> Where do I begin? That's where it's for the men. Like your uh-huh. woman's role, but it's like for the man, where do you begin? Mm-hmm. And I think I just gave one of the examples. Like first and foremost, you got to be yourself. Right. Begin by being yourself and understanding that, look, 
as a man, I, now one of those societal things that we talk about, look, most men, you know, you want to protect, you want to guard, you want to bring security, you want to bring stability to the relationship. And what you need to do is make sure that you're doing that. But whether you're a husband or a pre-husband, I think in, in a nutshell, the, the main thing a man needs to be doing, where do I begin? You begin by handling your business. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you are excellent in the things you do. Uh, make sure, I, I think that, that that's really attractive to a, a woman, isn't it, when you handle your business? Oh, my goodness, Do yes. you like that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the other part to that, which is really important, is we're always saying the man is the leader. Mm-hmm. Well, you, heck, you need to know where you're going, right? And if a man knows where he's going, then the woman, it is so easy for us to follow, even in our strength, even in our knowledge and our abilities, we don't mind when you know where you're going, mm-hmm. and, what you're doing. And, yeah, yeah, so you're not necessarily a leader just because you have um, different genitalia. You're right. A, you are a leader because you are a leader and you're doing what you're supposed to do as a leader and you're functioning as a leader. And when, you're work, and when you are really learning how to lead yourself and be yourself and be all that God has called you to be, that's going to help her like you even a little better. But also from the man's perspective, it's going to help you like yourself too. But, you know, a lot of times men will be frustrated with themselves because that they're not achieving and then because we don't know how to cope, we may put that burden or that pressure, or I, I can air quote it and say, take it out on our spouses. So where do I begin? I begin by knowing who I am, handling my business, especially when it comes to the areas of protecting, guarding, guiding, bringing stability to the relationship, mm-hmm. and learning how to be an asset to your wife, especially sacrificially, because as a leader, you know, we, we're going to love our wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, when we look at that giving that he gave himself for it, that was a tremendous sacrifice. So now as a man, especially if I'm going to look at and use biblical principles to guide my life, I'm going to ask myself, where am I willing to sacrifice for my wife? And that's so much so, look, can she nail me to the cross, right? Mm, can, she nail, can she nail me to the cross and I, and I can just take it for her good, you know, because I'm going to be a real leader like mm-hmm. Christ. So that, that's, that's where um, I, I need to be. But then even when it comes to her, you know, a lot of times in the Christian in the Christian um, community, we'll say things like, you know, leave and cleave. Go leave, leave, leave your father and mother, and go cleave to your wife. We you know, leave and cleave. Hey, they rhyme. I like saying that. But the Hebrew word for cleave is actually debak. And we look at that word. What it's talking about is aggressively pursuing, pursue with energy. And I would dare say that the majority of women there, maybe always, maybe some exceptions to the rule, but I think I would say the majority of women like being aggressively pursued. Is that true with you, Nick? Oh, my goodness, yes. Mm. And, and you know what? And a lot of women, when you think about it, as they get longer into the marriage, they, that's one of the areas where it falls apart because we get so used to being with each other, we stop pursuing one another, or the man stops pursuing her because it just becomes commonplace. You know, we're, we just come and do what we've always done. They're not giving compliments, and we love compliments. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to have to go out in the street to receive what would be nice to receive at home. And what you should be receiving at home, not just nice to receive, but you should be receiving. It should be a, a fundamental, foundational thing that you're getting at home and making sure that, you know, your home is your castle. Take care of your home and your wife is part of your home. Right. And you talk about how when we get into um, life, how these things change. I would just say from a, from a mindset perspective, one of the things that the men need to really be cognizant about uh, whether you're already married and you have kids, you definitely need to be cognizant about it. But if you have kids that are forthcoming, just know that when the kids come and when the children come, you still have a wife. And, you know, a lot of times, and, and it goes both ways, as we talked about just being in a relationship, but it, when the kids come, it, it, 
my spouse is still very important. A lot of times we see it happen. The woman will the woman will um, dedicate most of her time to taking care of the children, and then the husband will be secondary. And then the man, you know, when you have these kids and these children in the family now, it's like, hey, I got to make sure that the house is taken care of. So you will really dedicate more of your energy towards your spouse. And then you'll see that sometimes, subsequently later, even after the children are gone, hopefully they'll be gone. But when they are gone, a lot of times they may have a difficult time rekindling their relationship because they've neglected each other for so long. So just always remember that your the ministry to your wife or your spouse is number one. Well, that actually goes Takes first place. The Takes next, first place. The next uh, question here that we're talking about on the topic, the creativity within the relationship. And I thought about that. And, you know, it's very subjective, and it depends on what the two need and want from one another. And so while I can have a lot of ideas about what we should be doing in this marriage or what I would like to see, that's a conversation, and it's not something that I should just unilaterally decide for us. Thank you. So it seems like a conversation. Decide, but it's a conversation. So the best thing you can do is know what it is that your spouse enjoys doing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's something that you may not enjoy doing. But because you love your spouse and you want to please your spouse, you will do that. Now, this happens over time. You know, when you're initially together, I know the honeymoon period and we're all over each other. But when the years come, you know, it's five, it's 10, 15 years, it's 30 years, and you've, you've done life. You know, you've had challenges, you've raised children. That is a part that you have to intentionally think about in order to keep the, the, the fire, keep the, the creativity. interest, and the creativity and, in the marriage. Yeah, and, and you talk about the creativity. So for us, I mean, well, first and foremost, you said do, you have to, have to do certain things, but you got to know what's important to them. But I say what's important to them and also why. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in other words, know what makes your spouse tick. What's really important to them? Not what's important to women as a whole, or in your, in your case, what's important to men as a whole or universally, but what's important to your spouse and know why. And then once you know that, you need to do that. Now, granted, there are some things that are universal. You know, a lot of times when I talk to men, you know, a lot of times men may be struggling in a relationship, and I, and I, I, I tell them, I say, look, here's one thing that we know about most women. Most women love this thing called non-sexual affection yeah. or these tender touches and all that kind of things, the things that don't necessarily lead to sex, right? <laughs> right. And, you know, you don't want to give it, you know, because you want sex. But you know that that's important to her, so you give it to her. And it's like, hey, man, look, you don't have to understand it, but that's important to her. You know why, why, the why in this particular case is because she's a woman. Just go with it, right? But give it to her and take the layup. Take the layup because what you're doing is you're creating an environment really where she feels valued and, she, and then now she, she'll even like you more. And then that'll even make her a little more um, open to some of your suggestions and some of the things that you may want to do. So, for instance, and I'm just going give some hypotheticals here, but I can get some real ones, too. Um, the real ones are for us, but it's hypotheticals for other people. So, for instance, like in, in your case, you know, you coming from the Midwest, I'm from the city of Baltimore City, right? No no grass, just cement and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right, no uh, trees. No trees. <laughs> no just, greenery. Yeah, we have, yes. instead of grass, we have glass, right? <laughs> right. But um, you come from the Midwest, trees <laughs> and yards and open sky and with, land and land and you know so it, it, things are a little different <laughs> right so one of the things like even in this covid situation you got me out there on these because of the lack of options you got me out there on these hiking trails right. and going to these rural areas and looking at nature and all that kind right. of jazz and, and it's like you know i'm willing to go along well with, i enjoy it 
And I don't mind it. You don't mind it. I don't mind it. <laughs> but the right. reality is, you know, I'm open to the creativity for that. But by the same token, what have you done with me? You may sit down and watch some sports. Right. That you, and you, can give, you don't give a rip about who's playing, who's going to win. But, but you don't know that because uh, you'll be like, babe, how, did, how do you know that's going on? I'll be like, no, I you surprise me. No, you surprise. I know you don't give a rip, but you surprise me with your knowledge. That's right, because I pay attention. Mm-hmm. But so, <laughs> but what, what you will do is, is you come into each other's world. Right. Come into each other's world mm-hmm. and become a willing participant in the other person's world, and then that really helps them become. Even literally, be honest with you, it helps them be, both sides become more vulnerable with each other because. It's, you're not looking at your stuff like your stuff is right and my stuff is wrong and you don't like what I'm doing because, or now I have to sacrifice what I like to be in a relationship with you. And, you know, if creativity was not a part of the relationship in the beginning because one of the things that I've always uh, heard and I tell people, don't start something that you're not willing to continue because you want to the person who you actually are and not give them who you think they want you to be. So whereas creativity may be important to someone else, uh, when I think about us, for instance, what's more important to us is consistency, spontaneity, and flexibility. Absolutely. And I would say the, the spontaneity is our synonym for creativity. is The fact that mm-hmm. we, we can probably do something on the fly and the fact that we're willing to do it and, and we have very busy lives and we can say, hey, let's just go do this, let's go right. do that. And that just creates the fun in our relationship. Where somebody else, they may need more variety, right? You know, but um, we like quality over um, quantity, I guess. Oh, definitely. And and, and spontaneity is really good, but really in the consistency, like you said, the consistency, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that we can depend on each other, knowing that we can, other person can take up the slack. You know, you can look, you can hold everything down, right. whatever the case may be. But right. that's where the creativity comes in, and the spontaneity too. Right. So, what about how to keep the flames burning? Well, the, the flames burning. I mean, look, we only we have a limited time on this. Uh, <laughs> on this but I, I would say, look, we wrote a book about. Are you really? We did. We did. Yeah, I mean, look, the marriage. Look, we have a book called "Marriage Done Right Is Hard Work, But It's Worth It," and it's part of our um, "Done Right" series. But that's a 31-day guide, you know, as we call it, to put the fun fire and focus back in your marriage. And we think, you know, how do you keep the flames burning? You have to be committed to fun. You have to be committed to the fire. You got to be committed to um, putting the focus in your, your, your. Like I said, your marriage is your number one ministry. Yes. I mean, I, regardless of what you have going on in your life, your your unity with your spouse, that oneness, is the number one thing that you got to do. So, how do you keep the flames burning? You got to you got to make it a priority. And you know what? And I like what you said. The fun. Because if something is fun, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be yard work. It could be cooking. It could be cleaning. It could be. Um, watching a movie together, and from that fun, flames are automatically almost like cause and effect. Okay. So if, if, you can, if you can make fun a priority, the flames will automatically be there. And also, if it's fun, you'll want to do it. Yeah. If people don't like doing things that's a drudgery. I mean, right. if, and if you think about it, if you talk, to, like I, I can speak from the man's perspective. A lot of times, we, even something like communication, right, you say communication is extremely key in a marriage a lot of times you have a lot of men may, who may be reluctant to communicate with their spouse because they don't see that as, as a fun activity. Right. You know, so, but if you started, like, I really enjoy speaking with you, then you would go do it and you would initiate even more conversations, mm-hmm. even more activities if you can see it as a fun activity, a fun right. endeavor as opposed to drudgery and something that 
going to make you um, hurt and feel pain. Right. I mean, because we can even have fun going to the grocery store together. We sure can. And we picking can. out different things to eat or trying something new. That's fun. And so, that's, you know, that's just a little bit on that. But um, the next one, because we want to make sure we get through as many as we can, um, submission of both husband and wife. Uh, that's a good one, and that's always a, a topic for debate. And it really depends on what your upbringing was, uh, what knowledge and understanding you have of Scripture around that, and what you are being taught by those around you. But for us, in addition to choosing the right spouse, because I think that's where it starts, it is a desire and a commitment to work on yourself to be the best you, and to want to serve your spouse. And that is an area, I think, being in Western society where we are not so much, um, we, don't think, we don't think collective as much as other countries do. We're very independent. What's good for me and mine? Um, but from a kingdom perspective, which should, which should cause us to focus differently, we should want to serve one another, and submit to one another, because that's what the Bible tells us to do, right? Absolutely. You know, if you think about it from a Christian perspective, as most of us, we we, we know how to go run straight to um, the instructions in the, to the Church of Ephesus right there at, uh, in Chapter 5, and, you know, you got the wife submitting to the husband, and you got the wife respecting the husband, and the husband loving his wife, and all that kind of good stuff. But a lot of times we very rarely talk about the verse that precedes all that, where it talks about, you know, Committing to one another, you know, and, and understand that this is a collective thing and, and understand that your spouse brings something to the table. Your spouse has value, as I said from me. Yes. Um, I, look, I know we're not going back to the Old Testament where you marry your, 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 um, your uncle's daughter and all that kind of good stuff, but at the, by, the same token, <laughs> by the same token, my wife is God's daughter. Right. And I can't mistreat mm-hmm. God's daughter, right? So, mm-hmm. and I, I got I got to love her and... and and I understand what she brings to the table and understand the value. And then a lot of times, once again, we, we use the, we, when we look at the Bible, we use the Bible, and a lot of times we'll, we'll get into a lot of these um, preconceived ideas <coughs> without looking at the, the whole counsel. So here's what I mean by that, because a lot of times, you know, really speaking with men, you know, the, the wife or the, uh, the husband, I've heard men say things like, well, men don't need love. The Bible don't say that men need love. The Bible say men need respect. Well, I, I, I will I will venture to say that not only do men need respect, that's very true. I mean, you know, there are a lot of men in jail right now because they felt like somebody disrespected them, and men will kill you if they feel like they've been disrespected. But, um, you know, then the, some of the examples that they give, I won't get them, go into them now because of the limited time. But I, I can just say this. For those who may say the Bible says uh, men don't need love, I would just tell them to look at Paul's writings because, you know, he had two protégés. He had, like I said, he had Titus as well as um, Timothy. And if you look at right there in, in um, Chapter 2, one of the things that he told the older woman, he said he told the older women to train the younger women. Just look at the instruction he gave them. He said to love your husband. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He gave them an instruction to love their husband, too. Now, we can get into all kind of um, subsequent conversations like what? So what? Younger women love your husband. What? Older women, what? Do you not need to love your husband? What? Right. Older men don't need love, you know? Right. Uh, what, I mean, what did that talk about? No. Men, look, men, <laughs> accept the fact that you need love, too. Yeah. And, and just how about this? The same way the Bible commands us to love one another, love one another, including your spouse. How about it? And, and, and let's not get caught up into to too much Bible debate 
and just say, you know, I'm going to love everybody. And especially because the Bible even tells us I need to love Nicole as I love myself, you know, because if I do good by her, I'm actually doing good by myself. If I'm bitter against her, you know, my prayers may be hindered. Now, the question I would ask a Christian man is why would you voluntarily put yourself in a position where your prayers are hindered, you know, by being bitter against her? And if I'm being bitter against her, I can, can I really be loving her the way God wants me to love her if I'm walking around bitter against her? It's just a question that I think anybody can answer with common sense, right? So the bottom line is when it, when it comes to this submission, it's like I'm going to value you, you're going to value me, and we're going to work this thing called life together. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, and, but I'm going to tell you that I, I know um, one of the things that when you start talking about that, I know we, we're going to talk about Blinton, but I want to, one of the things about that's really important, we'll come back to these other questions. Because we think about one of the questions we that was asked about what are some of the pertinent, what keys are pertinent before a marriage enters the altar, and I think there are certain things that help us even submit to one another. And when you look when you look at that question, and, and one of the things that when you when you're marrying going into a marriage, you I would say in addition to knowing the person's worldview and knowing the filters and, and knowing how they process information, after you get through all that kind of stuff, you have to know that, hey, um, we're going to live a Christ-centered life. And with that Christ-centered life, we, here's what we understand, this, and this is, what will, this is what will help us submit to one another. Because by li- living a Christ-centered life, now what we both said we're going to do is that the, the core principles of Christ's teaching is what's going to guide us. So now that I have the core principles of Christ's teaching, teachings guiding us, I agree to that, and now you agree to that, and we agree that that's going to govern our lives, what we don't have to do now is get into a battle of the minds. If not, whose way is right, whose way is wrong, uh, well, my way is right because I'm the man, or, or my way is right because I'm more educated. And, and, I mean, because both, both of us, we have like seven college degrees, right? right. And we, we have all the big ones right. right there sitting here on this conversation with you right now. But So we don't have to get into a battle of the minds and the intellect and pulling sex um, and power cards. So it's because... It's not your way or my way. It's Christ's way. So right. when, when when we're when we're looking at how we're going to do things, we have to line it up with the Christ with the teachings of Christ to, to see who's right or who's wrong. Not one of ours. But also by doing it that way, we are no, now we're not in a position where one person has to just lessen themselves to be in the relationship. I don't have to weaken my mind or weaken my personality or weaken my gifts and my callings to be in a relationship with you. And because now because it's Christ's way, it's not each one of um, our own individual ways. So that's really important, and, and when we understand that, that'll help us submit to one another because really we're submitting to Christ, and we're submitting to Christ's teaching even more so, and even more importantly than submitting to one another. We submit to Christ's teaching that submitting to one another will become a little more natural and not so contentious. And as you're saying that, and it goes back to the question that you started looking at, you know, as far as what the keys are, what keys are pertinent before marriage, because this issue of submission, the fact that it's coming up after we're married is a problem. Or that whatever it is that we've learned prior to getting married, uh, getting married about how to be in this relationship with each other, we've just abandoned that. Mm-hmm. And if the Bible is a part of our daily lives, like if we are really in the scriptures and trying to learn how to be better people, then of course this submission thing should not keep rearing its ugly head. But of course we know the enemy only seeks to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. And the family is first on his list. first on his list. So we have to be cognizant of that. We have to remember that. That that is daily. Like our that battle is daily, and so mindfully and intentionally, being in this relationship, choosing to love each other and to serve one another and to submit to one another is a choice. 
So what's pertinent before marriage? I'm just thinking about that. The friendship. Tony and I, <clears throat> we were friends first. And a lot of times that's not true in relationships because we are going into this relationship thinking about, is this potentially my spouse? And so you're already going into it wrong because you're thinking about how to impress this person as a mate as opposed to just being a friend. And if you are a friend, you are able to talk and share things with each other, whether it's your strengths and your challenges. You're able to have those conversations, the things that frustrate you that you're dealing with, the things that you're fearful of. Like you start off having those conversations, but somewhere along the way, when you don't make that, you don't keep that a priority, even when you've been married for a while, <clears throat> then you start running into all these other issues. But these are things that are pertinent even before you get to the altar is, do we have a friendship? Like, can I be honest with how I'm feeling? Now, I'm not going to get into whether or not you can tell them everything because that's a different conversation. <laughs> but you should at least be open enough to be honest about things as it pertains to the relationship, what you're getting out of it, what you're not getting out of it, um, what you're concerned about as far as where the marriage is going. That By doing that, by by focusing on that communication piece, then you, you set yourselves up better to have a fulfilled, long-lasting marriage. So... In the beginning, one of the other things that's important is, and you can do this better when you feel like you have a friendship, is ask the hard questions before going down, um, before getting married, going down the altar. What are your beliefs? What are your goals? What's your purpose? What's, what's the deal with our finances, mine, yours? Do you have children? Don't, don't ignore red flags. Right. Or, look, do I already have children and now we're going to have a blended family? And we can talk about that in a minute. What is the expectation that you have of me uh, in this marriage? Like these are all things that should be talked about before you say I do because love, as beautiful as it is, it's just not enough. Mm-hmm. You will struggle with your love. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you'll, you'll question whether or not you were in love. And, of course, we will always ask, well, what did the Lord say? Is this somebody that you believe the Lord is sanctioning, of course, is your choice, but was there any prayer about that? So those are things to think about as far as, you know, what's pertinent for a marriage. So we can talk about now the blended, the, children, the I blended guess. yeah, the blended children. And my experience with that, uh, as a mediator, I've worked with parents who are in the courts who are working out child custody arrangements. And mm-hmm. a couple of things that I have seen and have had um, – conversations with with the the fathers and the mothers is the children should never be put in the middle of your disagreement. That's really important. Um, The children should never be used as pawns. I think it's important that parents remember how important the other parent is to the child. The non-custodial parent. Yes, so if the two parents aren't getting along, you need to learn to get along. And see, that's just being an adult. Like you say we're adulting, that's, that's where you have to be an adult because it's for the child's sake. We're not talking about staying together for the child's sake. We're talking about if you are with someone now and you're in a relationship with someone else and they, your children are blended. Yeah, and it's, and it's really difficult because I would, you talk about the court system and you're, you're speaking of situations where there's been a divorce. No, so sometimes there's, there's a blended family because the other parent died, right, mm-hmm. and then the parent may remarry. But in a case where there's a divorce, you know, there are a lot of factors 
that need to be considered. And I can tell you because that's what happened with me. My mom remarried, and one of the things that did not happen was the consideration of the children. You know, in, in the court system, in the divorce, you know, you look at the custodial parents, the courts will even give some weight, especially when you look like depending on the age of the child, like what the, what the child may want. And in, in these um, blended family situations, I think the, the children definitely need to be given some more consideration than we probably normally give them because their, their opinions matter too. Because ultimately, this um, person is going to come in and become the, we air quote, the step parent, legally the step parent, right? And right. From an, um, inheritance rights. But anyway, this person is going to become the step parent. And now there are some factors that you need to consider. And, you know, it's not a bright-line test when it comes to the children because you have to look at things like the relationship with the non-custodial parent, how long were they there, uh, what kind of relationship do they have, is the non-custodial parent in the child's life, does the non-custodial parent want to remain in the child's life, and if the, if the non-custodial parent is still in the child's life, will they impact what's being taught in the house where the, where the other parent may have um, custody? So those are some things. You look at the age of the children. You know, you look at it differently if you have a blended family and the child or the children are young, but then it's a little different if they're teenagers, right? Then it's also maybe some differences is if the the children are a different sex than the parent, the step parent that's coming in. That may impact relations. So there are a lot of different variables that need to be taken into consideration before you walk down the aisle. You can't just get married, or you shouldn't just get married because you can when do it. When you're blending your family. Yeah, yeah, because you can do whatever you want to do, right? But you shouldn't get married when you're blending your families and just say it's going to be uh, it's going to all work out once we walk down the aisle and. And, or like a lot of my, my um, Christian contemporaries would say, oh, yeah, God's going to work it out. But I would venture to say that, no, God wanted you to talk it out before you walk down the aisle <laughs> so, um, because you didn't, have to, you didn't have to put God to that foolish test, right? right. And, but one of the key things there, too, you've got to remember, when, this class, when you bring in this, this step-parent or this, non, this new parent into the relationship, you have to give them full parental rights of your child. Whether they adopt them or not, they still have to have full parental rights because if they don't, it's going to cause problems in the relationship. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. So you have to talk that out and work through it before you commit to marrying this person because mm-hmm. your love, you'll find that there will be a, a serious strain on your love and your relationship. And we know it, it happens. A lot of times people will, will divorce because of the children. And if you can't make that decision to allow them to have full parental rights, then you shouldn't get married. Then you should not that, that'll get be married. Our, that's our premarital counseling. Don't you get married. should not too. get married. And the important, why that's important is because, in God's mind, when he created man and woman, those two together become one. And so if you choose to marry someone who is not the mother or father of your children, the man and the woman still become one. And so you're supposed to be unified in how it is that you're going to parent this now blended family, and it is the two of you working together to do it. And that's very hard because the the parent who is with the child, you know, whether it's the father or the mother, that bond has become a whole lot closer now that that other parent is not there. And so it's almost like the child feels like, well, you're forsaking me. Mm -hmm. But from a biblical perspective, it is the man and the woman who come together who are the one, not the parent and the child. And so that's a, that's hard to deal with, but it should be dealt with it's up front. Ex- it's extremely difficult, and the one of the things we have to realize, too, and this is a totally separate conversation but still ties in here, is that your, your parenting is a seasonal thing. The parenting, the way you parent your child while they're under your jurisdiction, it's, it's seasonal. It's going to end. But the marriage relationship is to death do us part. So that should, you, you, you should really be preparing that child to go on and live a productive life without you. And so 
the bond, like you said, is between the, the unity, the one that the one flesh is you and your spouse, not you and your children. Right. As much as we love them. Right, right. So as it relates to how to collaborate with new family members that are introduced to the relationship, just quickly I'll say uh, it would be good to have family meetings. The communication piece is always the biggest issue in any relationship. It doesn't matter. Learning to communicate is probably one of the hardest things we'll ever have to do. So having family me- uh, meetings where there's, there, you're checking in to see what's working and what's not, not working and being willing to make necessary changes. Sometimes you may need to ask for forgiveness or, or be forgiven for something you've done or not done as it relates to the new members of the family and being patient with each other. And, even, and I would even say the current members of the family. We did that with our children growing up. We would have a family meeting on a Friday night, and we would ask them, well, what do you like about what we're doing? What do you not like about what we're doing? And they may say something like, well, I don't like the fact that you made me do this, and then we would explain to them why it was really important that you had to, to, to do that. Right. Or then it may turn to, well, I don't like the way you – you yelled at me or the way you responded to me, then you say, you know what, you're absolutely right. In order for me to get you to do that, I don't necessarily need to talk to you like that, and I'm mm-hmm. going to promise that going forward I'm not going to deal with you like that to get you to do that. Right, because everybody's voice is important. Everybody's voice every is important. Every child, every adult, every person should be considered. And I would just suggest also that perhaps you have every, give everyone a day a special day where they are the center of attention, every person in the family gets one, and then you don't run into the, well, that's your favorite or you're ignoring me, because this is how you can build trust, you can build consistency, and, of course, create memories by making sure everybody gets to be the center of attention. And so that's something that also is intentionally done when you are trying to collaborate and bring in new members and making sure that everybody knows that they're mm-hmm. valued in that relationship. Mm-hmm. But, and also when, you, when you're keeping everybody the center of attention, you have to still remember your marriage vows, right? <laughs> that's, right. that's one of the questions, the, uh-huh. the points of maintaining marriage, marriage vows. And while marriage vows are important, I would venture to say that the marriage vows, you maintaining your marriage vows or being committed to your marriage vows, really, it just should really ideally just be an extension of who you are. I should be, regardless of what environment I'm in, if my if I gave my word, people should be able to rely on me and fulfilling my word. In other words, because if I don't, if I can't do it, I shouldn't be saying. I mean, you, you talked about it from the marriage perspective, really, like learn how to be quiet. But you know what? I would venture to say that if I can't do it, then I may need to learn how to be quiet. <laughs> you know, I'm only I'm going to only do those things which I know I'm going to yes. perform. I'm not going to have you saying, "Oh yeah, your word is no good," so therefore I can ignore you. So that's a character trait that really should extend. From, you should already have it from the other areas of your life that you bring into the marriage, and then you maintain it while you're in the marriage, just being committed to your vows. If I said I'm going to do it, if I said I'm not going to do it, then that's what I'm going to do, and that's what I'm not going to do. And and I, and, and just fundamentally, from a husband's perspective, and I'm sure it's the same with you as well, don't ever do or say anything behind your back that I wouldn't do or say in your face. Mm-hmm. You know, so To another person. Yeah, to another person. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right. And we can end with this. I I believe our marriages are the best reflection of God's love, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. We learn mm-hmm. unconditional love, service, forgiveness, humility, submission, patience, gentleness. All of that is wrapped up in what it is that God has shown us, especially looking at 1 Corinthians 13. It's, some, it's a scripture that we always quote, but that is where we can learn how to maintain our marital vows. And I would just recommend that you uh, the people who are listening read 1 Corinthians 13 and let that help guide how it is that you treat your spouse so that you can maintain the marital vows that you said when everything was so beautiful. Mm-hmm.
I think we got it all in in, in 40 minutes, right? <laughs> did we get it okay. in? You, you did. You got it in, and now there are some additional questions that we would like to be able to share with the audience, and, and I'm sure with the uh, perfection that you have in counseling, this is what it seems like you all have a very good tag team uh, relationship in marriage as a counseling team. So here was the first scenario, and this is something that happened um, in our location. Okay, so sometimes religion can play a factor as to how individuals, um, let's see, how can I say this, how individuals treat their spouses. Some people may not know. Some wives may not know. They may have been taught differently. And so here's the scenario. You have two um, you have four individuals, they come from the same religion, they come from the same church, but and, 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 and the husbands come from the same religion, the husbands come from the same church, but they did not know how to be open with the skills and with the information, the tools and the resources that you all provided, like being, being fun, having activeness. Uh, some religions don't teach it. They just teach that you're supposed to marry. It's better to marry than not to burn. And it's okay to quote scriptures, but I think sometimes we have to talk about these things at church too. So by the fact that the women only knew both of the women from the same church, both of the husbands from the same church, they only knew how to do the basics. They knew how to cook. They, the women knew how to... Um, and this is a very high-profile back denomination. They knew how to cook. They know how to clean up. They knew how to do everything except for the romantic part. And within six months, both of the husbands put one wife back on the bus, back from Texas, back to our location, and the other one took to his wife. And they were not brothers or sisters, took his wife and put her on the bus from Nashville back to our location. Those are two marriages that failed, and I feel that it's, it was due to how they were brought up in their religion. And I feel that we, as, as wives and husbands, we should know or there should be some sort of, of, of sessions that we talk about at church where it's a men and women department or a men department or a women department because all four of them had good intentions. Their intentions, the husbands were great husbands, good intentions, but the wives never knew because of the denomination did not teach, did not teach and share the fundamentals of affection. That's the word I'm looking for, emotion from the relationship. So we want you all both to be able to hit on that topic and the importance. And, and today, both of them still are separated. Both of them are separated from these husbands, good husbands. Good husbands, but the wives, the wives did never knew from their background, from their religion, from their household, how to cater to their husbands. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess we'll, we'll tag team this as well. And, see, and I, I think the, the words you kept using on Prophet Winbush is um, religion, right? And I think that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. We, we, get, we get caught up okay. in, in religion, and we don't look at what Christ wants. And, and we, mm-hmm. we take our man-made doctrines and treat those as if that's what Christ wants, right? And we take come our on, cultural, come on, that's it. We take our cultural doctrines and we act like, as though that's what Christ wants. And 
that's part of the problem. So, and, and that's what that's going to impact us in every area of our lives. Our, it's going to impact us in our um, marriage relationships. It's going to, it's going to, and if we have children, and hopefully the, the guys who, the people who split up after six months, hopefully that no one became pregnant. But if you had children, that will negatively impact the children as well. And then, if you be honest with it, it'll impact some of your your natural relationships outside of the church, whether it's um, with other Christians or even. If, in, as you're trying to live in the world and even in the secular world, and you have to, you know, be in the world but not of the world, it, it's going to impact us there as well. Because we, because we, religion will just really mess you up, we, and we just have to be mm. honest about it. And um, now we got to understand what what Christ wants. But as we said earlier, you got to look at what your spouse wants. What's going to make your spouse happy? And that's why Nicole said we we need um, pre pre engagement counseling because even within religion and how we do it in, in the church. Even when it comes to marriage, one of the things that we do, just from a uh, uh, not sub- from a substantive perspective, but from a procedural perspective, one of the things that we usually do, you talk about some of the, the teachings that we need, that's from the substance perspective, right? But from a procedural perspective, here's what we normally do. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, um, I love you where you've been all my life, let's get married. And now that I've decided to marry you, that's when I go get the counseling. And that's when I go get the, the, um, the, the coaching or whatever the case may be. But the reality is, at that time, what we, what Nicole and I know, at that time is usually a little too late because if no one really has a, enough guts to tell you guys, or very few people, I should say, have enough guts to tell you that maybe you should wait. And even if you do get that kind of feedback, people are going to do it anyway. Because with religion, we think that God is just going to sanction anything that we do until, until we get into it and we find out that he doesn't, Right. So we need you need to have an understand uh, like somewhere during that conversation you, you should, what's your relationship with your husband going to look like how important is friendship to you hey man how important is sex to you um, do you and, and for your wife how important is whatever it is to her how important is security to her and whether it's a um, physical security whether it's financial security those conversations have got to be had before you walk down the aisle, if you want to give yourself a chance or you want to give yourself a better chance, but we're not, we're not having these conversations, and then we get into it, and unfortunately, we struggle now. And in this particular case, you said both people just put their spouses back on the bus, but a lot of times people will go struggle with it or they'll just kick them to the curb. But you can see that that, um, negative, that negative outcome is inevitable when you don't have the uh, foundational and basics about what does it take to have a, a great relationship because, see, Cooking and cleaning, like you said, some of the ladies may have had the basics. That's the basis that everybody should have. A single man should know how to cook and clean if he's going to mm-hmm. live on his own. He shouldn't be single and not know how to cook and clean. Mm-hmm. So those are just found out. Those are just what you, we call basic life skills. But basic life mm-hmm. skills aren't necessarily the tools for a successful relationship with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So we have to go beyond that. So I'll add three points to that. Uh, the first one is just looking at the church in general. So a lot of churches, uh, whether it's the pastor or the lay leaders, whoever it is that is responsible for the, the care aspect of the individuals, we don't have anything in place to provide feedback or to assess what it is that we're doing, whether or not it's working. We just do whatever it is. We get people married. We provide counseling. And then there's no follow-up. We don't go back to see how are things going? Is this working? What are your challenges? Because we struggle with communication. Or the churches think, the pastors think, the leaders think, because they said it, it's already been done, that that's it, uh, pray, God will, fi- God will help you figure it out, and we don't provide people what they need 
uh, for maintenance mm-hmm. sake. Okay, so that's one. Mm-hmm. The other part, the two part, is good news and bad news. The bad news is if that is the environment, it's a recipe for disaster. Because if there's no, if the church is not looking at how it is that they're doing things, they're not going to change what they're doing. So they'll keep multiplying or duplicating after their kind. They'll, they'll, there will keep being marriages that don't work because they use the same system in how it is that they marry people. They're still not giving information. They're still not checking on people. The good news is, even though these couples have split, if they are interested in working it out, they can still get counseling. They can still learn how to love one another. They can still learn about the emotional health and the romance part. It's never too late. It's just a decision. You know, it's an interest in working it out. Divorce, although it may seem final, is not. The only thing that's final mm-hmm. is death. So there's still hope should they choose to. And that's where um, that's what I would offer to that. Yeah, and then, then what I think. I would even ask for instance, but a lot of it goes to like, like that's why I say you got to understand the, the person's early. I said you got to understand the person's um, filters, and you have to understand their worldview because you have to understand where they're coming from and and understand why they think the way they think. That's in counseling. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's coaching. Yeah, coaching. That, that's extreme. That's extremely important because a lot of times we do things from a religious perspective, and we think that we're doing God some kind of favor by either doing something or not doing something. And it's like, oh, no, well, you got to ask. I would even ask a woman, say, what, do you think by not being romantic with your husband that you're doing God some kind of favor? But sometimes she just may not feel it, and that's a whole different story, right? So we, you have to but understand where she's coming from and how she feel about herself. Uh, so those are the kind, of things, that, those are kind of things that need to come up in the, in the counseling and in, in the, the premarital sessions, I should say. Or after. Or, or in this particular case, it, it can still come up after like, because it's like, okay, we have a house that needs to be rehabbed, this marriage house. Now, how are we going to fix it? And if it's not for the spouse that you just left, if you want to get married again, you still need to work those areas out. Because that, that, that same situation will rear its head in your next relationship. Did that answer your question? Okay. okay. That does. That answer, that's going to answer the question for this audience. Yes, it does. So we want to go okay. to one more. I, I guess we've got time. Uh, we got about, let's see, We've got about 30 minutes left. Uh, we want to go to another topic that is very, very important. Sometimes this can be able to cause um, uh, relationships to be able to go into separation. It can also cause relationships to be able to go into a um, divorce, fac- divorce uh, factor. And so we're going to come from Ephesians 5 and 31, Genesis 2 and 24, and Matthew 19 and 5. It says, for this reason, a man will shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. This is something that is also not taught in the church, and this is important. Now, we're not here to to, to badger the, the church and the ministry and the doctrines and their creeds that they have, but these things are important. This is not just for secular relationships. This is important for the church, for the church to be able to know it. We talk about everything else, but we leave out the relationship. If the if the if a relationship and a family family crumbles, that's gonna cause the attendance to decrease in the body of Christ, which people don't think that far. They just think, well, just as long as everybody come, they come in, pay their money, and listen, and what have you. So this is something that we want to be able to break new grounds on as to how to show 
and share with the audience so they can be able to take it back to their homes and their marriages, not saying this is something for you all to be able to, the audience, you, to take it back to your pastor and challenge him with these uh, with these scenarios. But we want to talk about the purpose of that, what that means, because now someone is not going to be married to a man and he's still clean. He's still cleaved to his mother. He's taking direction from his mother. He's he's going to his father for everything, asking him of, of, of all the answers and what have you. So they don't have, well, my pastor don't do counseling and things like that. That still is not a reason why you should not, a person should not be seeking counseling. That's not an excuse just because their church is not up to par in that area. So we want you, both of you all to be able to discuss a little bit about that as what it means for the, 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 the husband and the wife to be able to cleave to each other and get away from, you know, leaving the home from father and mother. That don't mean that you disrespect them. Some mothers and parents make their um, their, their children or their in-laws feel that I'm, I'm still in, the, in control, this is still all about me, and, you know, I still got the rights, you just got my daughter or you just got my, uh, my, my son and what have you, but I'm still in control. And sometimes individuals do not know how to decipher between the two. And so I think this is going to be also important for the audience as for them to be able to also have a healthy relationship. Sure. Now, before we do that, you, you threw out three. You gave three scriptures. You say Ephesians five thirty one, and what are the other two scriptures? Uh, uh, Genesis two and twenty four, and Matthew uh, nineteen and five. Okay, so I think we touched on Genesis two twenty four. I guess we can probably go into a little more. Um, Debak it means to aggressively pursue, but but I guess you, I guess we need to talk more about the leave the father and the mother, and we talked we touched on that mm-hmm. briefly as well. So. Here's the thing we need to understand as parents, or at least this is our approach. Just as I said earlier, Nicole, even though she's my wife, she's also God's daughter. The thing I need to understand about my children is that my children are also God's children, and we just are vessels that he used to bring them into the earth, okay? And stewarding over them. And so because he used us as that vessel, now we're the stewards over them. But as we said earlier, our natural parenting responsibilities will shift at some point, right? Because we, when we raise our children, we raise them to be able to function without us. That was, that was our goal, and they, and they understood that it's, you're going to be a respectable man of God who can function on his own if we were to both die tomorrow simultaneously. That was our goal as we were raising them. And now as, as adult men, as we said earlier, we were raising them, even we would ask them to think about even our parenting styles, that their opinions matter. But now as an adult, you have to be one who can stand on your own. So what, what, what am I saying? The whole purpose of when you're raising your children, ideally what should be happening is you should be raising them to eventually leave you, whether they go cleave to another person. And I guess I can back up a little bit. So when we were in Spain, you know, said we have 30 minutes, we have a little more time than I thought. But when we were in Spain, one of the things that we saw when I was in the military, we were in the military, we saw that my oldest son, he had a babysitter. And the woman, she had two young daughters who were in the house, right? And what they did, which we thought was absolutely phenomenal, when they came home, the mama was mopping the floor. They came home from school, and they took the um, mop out of the mom's hand and started working in the house. 
and we asked what was going on. They said, oh, no, they weren't even, I don't even know what they were, what age they were. I think they may have been school age. But anyway, they said, oh, we are staying in our parents' house, and when we are here, they don't do any work. They are providing for us and taking care of us. And then when the father came home from, from work, they took off his slippers, they gave him his newspaper, like, that's what he wanted, right? And then we talked about how long they would stay in the house, and in their particular case, they said, we're going to stay here and help support our parents until we get married out. And that was one of their cultural things. So we will stay here, and we're going to be respectful to our parents and until somebody comes and marries us out. Now, granted, here in America, we don't do it that way. Usually by the time we're 18, we may be looking to get out, and if we don't leave at 18, um, we go to college. We're definitely looking to leave by the time we graduate from college. So at some point in time, we are looking to be on our own. I guess the point I'm really making is whether we, are, we get married out or not, right? So we don't necessarily leave our father and mother with the intention necessarily to um, be married to somebody else. But regardless, when, as we're raising our children, the point should be to raise them to eventually leave us and become all that God has called them to be, not the things that we're trying to put on them. We don't put, we don't put any callings mm-hmm. on them, and we definitely don't put any mm-hmm. fears on them. We have to raise them to become who God, who God has called them is. So when we said these are God's children and we're the stewards, as the stewards, what we're supposed to do is raise and nurture and discern and put them in and, and then give them opportunities to magnify and manifest the things that God has put in them. And that's what we're doing. So that's our mentality. The same way we had to leave our parents, our children need to leave us. And they have to have a life, and we have to have, understand. I don't want to be mean about it, but we have to have a life without them too. Because now the, the, the and they need a life without us. They need a life without us. So the dynamics mm-hmm. of the parent-child relationship will definitely have to change if it's going to be if it's going to be healthy. And here's what we have, okay. Prophetess Wimbush uh, and Tony and I. We talk about it all the time. As parents, we really don't know what we're doing. We are only repeating mm-hmm. what we have seen or learned from our parents or in our churches, and we don't mm-hmm. necessarily. It. We don't try to tweak it or enhance it. We don't read books. We don't take classes. Parenting is just something that befalls us based on the fact that now I have a child and how was I raised. We just naturally do what, mm-hmm. what we have experienced. Well, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Most of us come from dysfunctional families, and we've never stopped to question what was working, what didn't work, or we choose to forget how it made us feel when we experienced certain things when we were growing up. Like if I didn't like mm-hmm. the fact that my mother was always trying to see you, and I'm, this is hypothetical because this wasn't my situation, if my mother is right. always trying to hang out with me and my friends, she's always in mm. my business, uh, whoever it is that, uh, uh, whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm 17, 18 now, and she's still trying to feed me my food or she still wants to wash me up. Like, when we think about that stuff, like, that's perverted. What is wrong with you? Like, your child is seven. You know, or we think about children who are still breastfeeding at five. Like, mm-hmm. that, there's something wrong with that. But we don't question mm-hmm. it. We don't challenge it. We just do it. And like I said, we forget what we experienced and didn't like. So as a mm-hmm. parent and even as a pastor, because the same things happen in our churches, our pastors may be too involved in a marriage relationship or what's going on in a family. And so the husband and wife aren't able to make decisions by themselves or decide what's best for their family without taking everything to the pastor. So it's the mm-hmm. same thing. 
We have got to teach people how to become independent. And with the parenting process, Mm -hmm. as we are raising them, the way we parent changes as they get older, as they learn more responsibility, as they are as they are making decisions about their future, our role mm-hmm. and how it is that we interact with them as we begin to respect them as adults and making their own choices and having their own interests, then what, how we interact with them should also change. And also in their own lives. Yes, and, and we're supposed to want to help them become that because our, the true signal, signal for us to see that we have been successful is the fact that our children can be independent of us, that they can make decisions without us. Now, it's not that they don't come to us and ask our advice on things, because we Mm -hmm. should all have somebody in our lives that we can bounce things off of, because sometimes it's not even a friend. It's somebody who's more like a mentor, someone who's more like a coach, because we've never been this way before. So we may need some guidance. But when that role of the parent is outside of that, outside of just giving a a suggestion or something for the child to consider, but you are actually in the relationship, then those things are perverted. perverted. And that's exactly what the word that I would use. Yeah, and because, look, you have to realize Mm -hmm. sometimes, you have to realize he or she is 26, they are no longer 16. And Mm -hmm. you have to trust that what you put in them, hopefully you put the right things in them as a parent, right? Or you, you set the right mm-hmm. example for them. Like I said, you, you really you pulled out things. You don't really you put you in still, but really ideally you should be observing them and pulling stuff out that God has put in them and, and helping them reach that. But your your job is not to control them. Your job is to help them to go flourish and be who God has called them to be. And we have we have to get that in our head. And the earlier we can get it in our head in our psyche, the better. It'll, it'll be, the better it'll be for us. And I think a lot of times we think that well that's my child, but the reality is I know. I need to find out what God has for my life. Because that particular season in my life, we, we, know, we, we can talk about seasons. We love to talk about how the bad season is ending and all that New Year's is coming and all that kind of stuff. But that the <laughs> parenting way, that season has also ended. Mm-hmm. And one mm-hmm. other thing, uh, because if we think about these things from a spiritual perspective as well, does God handle us that way? No, he doesn't. He gave us a mind. We are free moral agents to make decisions and choices for ourselves, and we will deal with the consequences or the rewards of those same decisions. Well, as parents, we need to take that same mindset because we are individuals with our own minds and thoughts. And like God, we need to give people the freedom to make those decisions and learn from them, whether they're going to be good or bad. The failure is a part of the learning as well. And we know God will let us fail. He will let us fail. And also, if we look at the teachings of, like, of even Paul, right, there, there are many um, lessons that he gave about, um, I expect you to grow up, you know, whether it's of milk and meat or you, you, you still need to be taught, you should be teaching others. In other words, what you see that there's an expectation of growth. And there's an expectation of growth where you shouldn't necessarily even need me in the same capacity. Growth, maturity, yes, it's, that you're making a difference. Like, in fact, anything that doesn't grow, what did, how did Jesus deal with it in the Bible if it wasn't grow, growing or producing? He had no use for it. And so it's the mm-hmm. same thing with us in our relationships, especially with our children. The true um, signal for us that we did a good job is our child's ability to function without us. And just because you've left to go be with somebody else doesn't necessarily mean I'm not your daddy anymore. It doesn't mean I'm, that she's not your mom anymore. It's, 
So leaving us doesn't mean that you just totally kick us to the curb. But so you can still have a relationship with your parents, but you have to go have one with your spouse as well because that's where your new that's where your new life is is that start a new chapter, start a new book because that's that's what God wants. Mm-hmm. Did that mm-hmm. answer? And did that, I guess we need to. Matthew and Genesis yeah. are the same. I guess we see five thirty one. I guess yeah. we need to. Do we touch on that enough, or yeah, do we need? That's fine because we're gonna. What we're gonna do? We're gonna uh, still stay on that topic for just a minute, but we want to switch gears to culture. Okay, and so in regards to that, because on all of the shows that I have, I ask tough questions. The reason why is because I want to make sure that the audience leaves with all the meat and potatoes so they will not have to go on someone else's table and what have you and say, well, you know what, I didn't get all that I needed from that because we go deep into, uh, 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 you know, different topics that, you know, that are concerned. A lot of people are concerned. So what I do is I get the I get the concerns from the people and I come and I get the leaders and then I come in and I ask the questions. So with that, you know, you did a beautiful job. Both of you did on that one. But with the same topic, we're going to switch gears to cultures. Why is it now African American culture? Now, and this is not something to in in a racial bias or a uh, prejudicial way, but cultures, African Americans, you rarely see them purchasing homes with in-law suites. So why do we see other cultures where they feel that they need? Because our platform deals with Hispanic, our, our platform deal with. Caucasian and African American. So why is it that you see certain, I'm just going to put it like that, certain cultural backgrounds where they feel that they have to purchase a home and be able to have a in-law suite attached? I mean, where is the privacy that's going to be in that relationship if mother is there watching everything that I do, we're still on the same topic, the, the the wife leaving home, the husband leaving home, cleaving to one another. You rarely see this in the African-American background. Everything is blamed on African-Americans. The coronavirus is blamed on African-Americans. High blood pressure is blamed on African-Americans. But African-Americans is not, is not at fault for this one here, okay? So you rarely see African-Americans purchasing brand-new homes and offering their parents to live with them. Why do we see that in other um demographics and other cultural backgrounds as to the wife feels that she needs her parents there, or sometimes it will be the husbands. I've seen it on both sides, where the husbands will the husbands will invite their parents in to live inside of the home with them. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so, uh, well, we know how you ridiculous. feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, that's uh, ridiculous. African-Americans do it maybe better. Because the in-law suite is not there, I'm trying to get the the. What's the real question? What's the the real question question? here? The 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 real question is: Blacks, African Americans do not. I I I have seen less. I have heard less. I have counseled less in the less individuals where they have a have purchased a home and invite their parents to live. With them, that's ridiculous. Where is the privacy at? Is going to come in that relationship? If, 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 if so, take for instance, this it was a Caucasian family, and so this this is a real life story. The Caucasian wife 
brought the mother in, and they do everything together. I'm like, where is the privacy at? How can the husband and wife be one if the parents, I feel, to personally, when I saw this, I felt that that was like a suffocation in the relationship. Okay. okay. I could be okay. wrong. Um, I, I, I have a several, several different angles that I, that um, things that come to my mind as I hear you say that because I, I would I would venture to say that in some cases though it may not really be all that different. It may not be all that different, and I'll tell you why. Because while okay. they may be because the in law is in the house, a lot of times the, there can still be no privacy in the relationship because the, one of the, the um, spouses is taking everything to the, the mother or father who's not living in the house anyway, and then you got the person who even though. Mama or daddy may be living across town. They still button in your relationship, and they still dictating what you're doing. Like we just talked about. Mm, like mm-hmm. we just like we just talked about. Uh, <laughs> you can have trying to live your life with your wife, and now your mother-in-law calling your house, cussing you out about what you're not doing with with, with her daughter. So now mama may not be mm-hmm. living there, but black folks will do stuff like that. So that's one of the things that okay. uh, that comes to my mind. And then the other thing is like, okay, well, when we start talking about the houses. I'm thinking like from a real estate purchasing perspective. Are we buying houses that's even big enough to even bring the in-law in if we wanted to? <laughs> you talking about black people? Black folks, right. <laughs> yeah, so those, those are two things. So uh, I, I would say I would say that both, whether the in-law, the in-law is in the house or not, privacy is still an issue because a lot of times you you got the girl who won't leave her daddy, the son who won't leave his mama. That's what normally happens. And the other person is still unhealthily up in the relationship, or because you know she went to the church. Now he comes to the church. Now the pastor like he got to protect her, and now he all in the relationship, and the husband don't like him because the wife listens more to the pastor than she does her own husband. So it's a lot of mm-hmm. it's, it's breach of privacy all over the place, mm-hmm. regardless of who's actually living in the house. Mm-hmm. And I'll okay. add, first I'm going to give the attorney response. It really depends, okay. right? Uh-huh. It depends because, for one, we don't know what the, the dynamics were in that particular family that may have mm-hmm. required for them to have an in-law suite or a build-on, you know, for the in-law. So we don't know, and that would always be um, something to explore to find out why that happened. The other thing, from a cultural perspective, uh, I would ask, did you guys talk about this before you got married? You know, and that goes back to the pre-engagement conversation because I'm sure if the whoever it was that had that intention had that intention from the beginning. From the job. Mm-hmm. When I get married or when I become an adult, I'm going to always take care of my mother. I'm going to always give my mother a place to stay. And if that was never a part of the conversation, I'm going to ask why not. Because none of these things should be, this shouldn't be a surprise that you know. Just like, let me let me give an example. When I met my husband mm-hmm. in the military, because I came from a single family home, my father was in and out of my life, I have two younger sisters. I am 12 and a half years older than my middle sister. And so I had a huge responsibility along with my mother in caring for them. I was responsible responsible for getting him to school, getting him dressed every morning before I could go to school. And so when I met him, because of this sense of responsibility, at 20 years old, when we started talking about being together, he knew if he was going to be with me that I I felt responsible for my sisters. 
Whether that was right or wrong at the time, that's certainly um, a conversation that we can have. But back then, I felt very strongly it was my responsibility because I knew my mother could not do it by herself. And Tony was okay with that. But that was a conversation I had with him up front because I knew whatever I do with this man, it's going to include my my sisters. He might as well think of me as one who has two children. And that's Mm -hmm. how... And we navigated through that. So it would depend. And, and, and it's primarily financially as far as the impact. They, because we were living in a different country, so it's not like they were, when you say it was going to include my sister, it's not like they were going on dates with us and all. I mean, right, but financially no, speaking, the people here, that they, they, have, they don't know what that means. Right. So, yes, from a financial perspective, I felt responsible. And so that could have been a problem for us. If I'm sending half my money home all the time and we're trying to build something, that could be a problem. So that you know, those are the kind of things that we would have to look into. Is why was that even a, a factor in that new marriage that the parents would be coming mm-hmm. along? Yeah, and then I, w- I can even also ask. So again, at the end of the day, you say is it ridiculous? It can be, right? Mm-hmm. But also, I'm okay. looking at the dynamics of our relationships, even as we're buying homes and and going to um, our quote unquote separate ways, or trying to go into maturity and adulthood. Like, do we have the, mm-hmm. the close bonds with our families where we, where we even want them around? I would venture to say that a lot of times with, with us black folks, sometimes the, the um, family bonds are so shattered that we don't want to in-law suite anyway because we're really trying to get away. I mean, I, you know, a lot of kids, mm-hmm. you talk to the kids, they'll tell you, I can't wait until I'm 18 so I can, quote, unquote, what, get out of here. So if you're trying to get out <laughs> yeah. of here, you're not trying to <laughs> where you're going. Right. Right, but when I think back to when we were early, early married, your mom was a blessing. Yeah, my mom. We needed her. My mom mm-hmm. got on the plane. Mm-hmm. How, how long mm-hmm. she become? A couple of weeks. My mom. So we we had our first child. We were living in Spain because we were still in the military at the time, and we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> this baby with this big old head and changing diapers and feeding. What does this cry mean? My mom. She mm-hmm. came from Baltimore and she weeks with us in Spain, and, and actually helped us. Learn how to pick up because we we had never. I mean, this a baby. You talk about the basics like pick up the baby and hold his head and all that kind of stuff. And this he's crying and this is what all this means. She came with us and stayed with us in our and our with our lovely house in Spain. We loved that little townhouse, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, and she stayed with us for a couple of weeks and helped get us um, acclimated to being parents. And then she eventually left, mm-hmm. but she was a tremendous mm-hmm. blessing, you know, for us because okay. otherwise we would have. We probably would have did something wrong. Yeah, so we would have to have more information about each couple to know what were the dynamics that caused that decision. Right, right, absolutely. Um, and and with that, just briefly, um, it was a we saw that play out, and so um, that was great. That how you all responded. You have to be able to talk about things up front, and so I think um, the scenario that I uh, witnessed myself and saw it, and it was this. Uh, wife and she meant well but uh, she was married and the sisters weren't and I think were not and so um, they she brought her daddy down here from Chicago and so she didn't you know some wives are like you know I'm the woman of the house and stuff you can't tell me what to do and, and things like that and so that she basically kind of controlled the husband went in there and he paid the bills and I think he was the administrator of this church that we were going to uh, attending uh, some years ago and so she wore the pants in the house and took care of the bills, which that's good. But when her father got ill and came moved into the household, she did not sit down and have a adequate talk with the family and right. which caused a lot of confusion. 
confusion. I think they kind of hey. went their separate ways. They had a child. They tried to commit suicide and all kind of things like that because now here comes a father inside of the household. He's a member, and now he's trying to take over. He's trying to dictate. He's trying to control and trying to be daddy in a household where he is really just was invited inside of the house. And he's deceased, the, the elderly uh, gentleman, he's deceased at this uh, at this point in time. But what I'm saying is we have to be careful, as you stated, sit down and communicate first. Don't You, you don't just bring somebody into your household with, and knowing that it may affect the wife, it may affect the husband. See what their opinions are. See how they feel about certain things because we see this going on. And like I stated, um, the people in the church, you know, we don't feel that we um, that there was no error, error, you know, or anything or anything that is biased that is going on, and people are hurting when they go to church. Right. But they cannot open up and talk to the leader. They can't talk to the usher board. They can't talk to the deaconess. They can't talk to anybody. They have to come to church, and they have to worship alone inside. And so that's the reason why we're coming in to break down these barriers through this um, conference on today. Now, this last um, question, this is the last question for the session, and I promise you I'm going to have to get you all back on here on 2021 because these are some topics that um, that are, you know, you all are flowing fluent with this. You all know how to respond behind it, and uh, we appreciate it, okay? So when it comes to when it comes to counseling your children. This is going back to the child. This may be a difficult question. You are free to say, you know, I don't want to I don't want to respond to it or what have you or we don't we'll, we'll wait till the next time and we'll get some more information about it. So, here goes. A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to have a Dr. Fields guest on one of our um platforms. And so, what happened was um the, the the husband and wife and, and and I feel that we have to be careful if our children get into some mischief in mischief these are Christian people they got the the son got into some mischief and ev- all of us love our kids you know we want to help them if we feel that the law is doing something wrong or what have you we want to come in and we want to get angry with the law but they're advocate advocating for their son and my thing is and so i had someone else on the on the um you know i went and got me some backup i wasn't going to do that interview by myself i was not i went and got some backup so it was a federal prosecutor that was on the show with us okay and so my thing and and that's the reason why i wanted it to be open I didn't want to tell him, you know what, you need to tell your child to sit down somewhere. It's your child's fault because we have to be careful how we deal with people. People are fragile. This father was fragile. But at the same time, I wanted to tell him, if you don't stop advocating for your son, your son did something wrong. And it was a show in regards to online sex things. And how do we... From both of your perspective, not saying that your children or you, you know, have anything to do with that. That's not what we're talking about. How should a married couple come together and be able to correct, sit down and counsel, not correct. We have to be careful how we talk to people, but sit down and talk to our children. Because my first thing to him, I wanted to say it to him so bad, but I, I had to hold my tongue. When he gets out of this prison 
thing that he's in, the daddy's like an engineer and the wife is, oh, they cut her down on, on Dr. Phil and things like that. He had begged me, can I get on your show and stuff, uh, 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 Miss Winbush and things. I turned them down at first, and it was other people that turned me down. They didn't want to come on there with him. But this federal prosecutor, she agreed to come on. I'm like, man, if you – look, I wanted to get – you know, just like African-Americans do, we can get country sometimes. I wanted to tell him so bad, you do not need to be entertaining this, what he's doing. I know that you're advocating because he has an issue and things like that, but when he gets out, don't, don't you, do you not think that he's going to go back to that because you are in a, you're encouraging it? Why am I going to advocate for my kid? Come on now. I'm going to advocate for my kid. I'm going to advocate for him in something that he done wrong. He needs to swallow it, even though, like I told, I told him, the, the time that the judge gave him, it was excessive, 50-something months for talking to a, a, a um, I'm trying to wrap it up, y'all. He was talking <laughs> to a, I am, I'm try, but I want you to understand it so you won't think I'm trying to be a judgmental. He was talking to a, a, a police officer but he thought he was talking to a underage young lady how do we as husband and wife support our children with and 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 try to teach them a lesson at the same time i mean i didn't know how to relate it to him i couldn't he he was very aggressive when i when i when i when i broadcasted um the 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 um the the link on YouTube oh they just went all over the place they 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 belittled the the the, the prosecutor they didn't say anything to me <laughs> thank God but they belittled the prosecutor how do we encourage our children without patting them on the back as if we are okay with the things that they do alone now does that make sense and stuff I finally finished it thank you Gloria. <laughs> We got it, and we understand it, and, and we we preach this message many, many times, to be quite honest with you. And it's, and it's in a lot of cases, um, and I guess I'll take it to the more we talking, right? right? But first and foremost, you have to have standards. We we mm-hmm. say we're Christian, right? So as from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. husband, wife, and just parent, you have to have standards. And so from, from a legal perspective, what, what do you do? You, you have the law, and then you have to apply the facts to the law. And then what will happen mm-hmm. there is that will just tell you that your outcome. So and I don't change my standards just because it's my child. I, mm. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't go from a righteous standard to an unrighteous standard just because my child has decided to participate in an unrighteous way. And so one of the things mm-hmm. we, so we talk about advocating for your child, I advocate for righteousness. I don't ever enable unrighteousness. Right, so mm-hmm. that that's that's where I start because remember, as we said earlier, when you're talking about raising children, you're, you're raising them to be productive members of society. In our case, we had two boys, so men of God who can live without you. When you do that, you're you're doing it from a righteous perspective. And but I can tell you this: we taught our children even as they were growing up. If you do something crazy, if you do something crazy, we will be. You don't have to worry about the uh, police finding you. We'll we'll be the first one to call them on you. That's right. We, <laughs> That's right. right. And we say that and we explain why. Because when you are out in the street and you are making decisions that are um, consequentially going to get you in trouble, then that can come mm-hmm. back and hurt us. And so mm-hmm. and you can put us in danger. And we're not going to allow you to put us in danger when we have worked really hard 
to get the things that we have, to live where we live. We're not going to allow you to disrespect us in that way. So if you mm-hmm. find yourself making a choice that can get you in trouble, whether it's drugs, whether it's women, because one of our sons is in sports, uh, if it's drinking and driving, any of those things, we will be the first to report you because you're going to stand in whatever decisions you're going to make. Because one, the other thing that we know uh, and what Tony and I have always talked to the boys about is they are black. And I don't mm-hmm. care who your friends are, I don't care what you have accomplished or achieved, that will not change. And the reason we had to do this so you can have a full um, perspective there, we had to tell them that because as they were going through um, middle school and high school, they went to predominantly white private schools. And they, Christian schools. Mm-hmm. Predominantly white Christian schools, but they were still in a way minority when it came to um like I said, they were primarily white, so it's like sometimes you only have like three or four black kids in the whole class, right? I mean, the graduating mm-hmm. class. But mm-hmm. so even as you have white friends and you're going out to certain places, certain things may go down. We would ask, who are you going with? Because we want to know what could conceivably go down when you're out there. Because we, we knew that if something went down, being black, even if it wasn't your fault, you're the one who's going to get blamed. Now, we can sit up here and fuss about um, injustices and all that kind of stuff, and that's a totally different conversation. We're talking about the reality of the matter. But that's the reality of the matter mm-hmm. now. But, he, but so that, that's what's going to happen. So, but it, it all goes back to this. As an individual, you have to make good choices. That's what's going to either make you be successful in life or that's going to cause you to have problems in life. So even with our children, it's sometimes been who you one of their choices had to be, like who am I even going to associate with, who am I going to grow out with, who am I going to be in certain environments with. Those are the, some, the choices you had to make even as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 18-year-old. But even as an adult, you still have to make good choices. You make good choices, you'll get the consequences of good choices. You make bad choices, you'll get the consequences of bad choices. But now, mm-hmm. sometimes things happen because of the system, but when you've done it, you can't go around blaming everybody else. You're not, you're not training your child mm-hmm. to be a responsible adult when you have them blame everybody else for their bad choices. Mm-hmm. It's not society's fault. Mm-hmm. It's not the prosecutor's fault. And if you went out and did it, it's not because you, you were black. No, if you did it, it's your fault. And now you have, to, you have to own your own choices. Because even as you're talking about being a, a husband and, a, and things of that nature, as a you have to be a man of integrity. Yeah. And I have to train you to mm-hmm. be a man of integrity. And like when I talked about earlier, handling your business, you have to take ownership of the things that you do and the things that you don't do. Mm-hmm. So, no, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sanction your mess. I and, can't. And I would add to that because that's what I was going to say. It's, we, we've governed our household and we've raised our children with two things in mind, objectivity and integrity. So when they're making mm-hmm. decisions, because of the standard we have, we can be objective because we are dealing with the issue. It doesn't mean that you can't bounce back from whatever it is that you've done. We're not saying you're a bad person, but the, the act that you did, mm-hmm. your conduct, your behavior is bad. And so there are consequences mm-hmm. to that. And so objectively speaking, we're going to address those actions that you or the decisions that you've made and the subsequent actions. So from for us, and what we would uh, tell parents, and I, I learned this, thank God, when the kids were still small, their success nor their failure is ours to claim. When they are making okay. decisions, 
for the good or for the bad, they own those. Those are theirs. And so and when we have done all that we can, and we know we've given them every opportunity and we've exposed them to good things that can happen when they make right decisions and uh, work hard, then whatever they choose to do once they leave us, because college was the, the way that we were, that was the litmus test for us. Both of our boys have been to college. Uh, one has a master's degree. The other is working on his law degree. We knew during undergrad, that was the time that we could see if what we taught was really working because now they were on their own and they could do whatever they wanted. And so based on the way we raised them to be integral and to take responsibility for their actions, we knew that whatever they were going to do and we told them, you're going to stand in it and you're going to own it. So from a spiritual perspective, God does us the same way, and that's the problem. We don't use the Bible as our guide for life. God allows us Mm. to accept whatever the consequence or the reward is for how we choose Mm. to live. And there is no one Mm -hmm. else we can blame when things don't go right. And 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 I would even say, like I said, we won't sanction your mess, but one of the things we have to do from a parent perspective, and like I said, I I know, I know you gave us at a higher level what this particular um, situation was, but as, well, we have mm-hmm. to make sure, this is across the board, and I'll speak specifically about this situation based on the information that I just received, but we have to make sure that we are all noticing and addressing the right issue. That's the okay. key. So like, and I'll use this, this situation as an example. So if you're mad, if you're mad at law enforcement, law enforcement or maybe prosecutors and things of that nature, that's a mixed diagnosis of the diagnosis of the issue. The real call, the, the real question here is why is my son trying to associate with underage girls? Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. issue. That's mm-hmm. the real issue that mm-hmm. needs to be dealt with. So that that's going to that's going to either help him be successful or not successful once he gets his life back or he has the freedom that he de- desires. What's going on in him that has him with that desire? What's going on with him? Because you you got the um, the criminality of it. You have the um, you have the um, the the deceptivity of it, the sneakiness and all those other kind of things that stem from that. Mm-hmm. That's what needs to be dealt with. That's going to help your son his son get his life back mm-hmm. together. Blaming society and systems isn't going to help him in that regard. You, you're you're fighting the wrong mm-hmm. battle. It's not that's not the that's not the issue. While that may be an issue in society, that's not the issue that caused it problem in your particular family at this particular point in time. And one more thing from a spiritual perspective is as parents, Mm -hmm. we are going to have to give an account for every choice we made where our kids Mm -hmm. are concerned. And how Mm -hmm. it is that we for God and and explain what why we did what we did, we need to think about were we enabling our children or empowering them to be better people and productive people in society and to advance the kingdom. Mhm, mhm. Absolutely, I agree. And 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 even with, like I said, um, I, I don't want to to to, to uh, badger uh, the individual and things. One of my first concerns was why the the mother didn't reach out, you know, to me or what have you and things. It was the father that did it. The father was totally broken. He was really broken. He, uh, you know, what I did, I tried to contact him because it was a very sensitive topic. And so I contacted him about three times before the actual show simply because of the fact he was very fragile. 
But my thing is that you're putting a Band-Aid on something, and as uh, Tony um, had uh, uh, addressed, you know, if, if – it's not the society's fault, and he was like, "Well, well, uh, he, he, you know, there's no enough programs and things like that." No, when your son gets out, he, he may go back to doing the same thing because here you are, you're advocating. You don't. He has formed a group, um, you know, in his location. I think this is out of the state of Colorado, in which he has the right to do. He has formed a group of that that uh, of of parents who. Um, have children that have been incarcerated due to this uh, particular uh, um, promiscuity online and what have you. And I wanted to say to him so bad, but he was just so fragile, the words could not come out. I'm like, if you don't stop this, if you don't watch yourself, he this this child. Well, he's not a child. He's about he's a um he's a um he's been in the military. I think he's like 26 or 27 or what, what have you and things. I mean, you're putting a Band-Aid on this kid. And so we use these platforms and scriptures. You know, people are good to use scriptures. As, and this is a Caucasian family, too. You, We, we cannot use these scriptures to, um, to, 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 to come in here and say that God wants God don't like ugly, and God don't. No, you get you missing the he, the father was missing the full point, and so that's the purpose of me bringing it up, not to expose um, the individual, not to expose right. what what he's done, but it was to bring it to the light as to how the parents, you know, we, we like you said, uh, Doctor uh, Davis. Uh, uh, Dr. Nicole, we're going to be held accountable for this, for patting these children up. It wasn't it a priest in the Bible that, that had two sons, and, 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 he, and he did not correct the two sons, and God went in and punished all three of them. The daddy got in trouble, and I think the sons uh, perished. So we've got to be careful right. in things. And right today, I mean, and this just happened two weeks ago. I just interviewed him two weeks ago. He still do not see it. I, I, it, it didn't matter what I said to him on the show. It did not matter what that federal prosecutor said to the father on the show. When as soon as the show was over with, he went in there on YouTube because that's where I uploaded it to. Went on that YouTube and the whole group came on there and just cut up sideways. And we call ourselves Christians. We can't do that. Right. But they said, that's, but that's what we do. I mean, and that's why we have we have to change. But like I said, we gotta we gotta address the right issue. But also one of the things we have to consider, when you're talking about things with, with underage girls, especially if you – it's one thing to say, well, I'm hurt because my son is suffering, right? So, And that's what any parent would do. Then there are a lot of young girls who have been victimized. Put yourself in that parent's mm-hmm. shoes. And if you, were the, if you were the parent of a 13-year-old girl who was victimized by a 40-year-old man, what do you think the law should do then? Mm-hmm. Um, a guest on the show. We learned a lot today. Um, 
in regards to the podcast, how to remain uh, maintain a role as a wife and a, as a husband as well, creativity, uh, keeping the flames burning. We also learned about blended families. We also talked about uh, in-laws and, and how effective it is for, you know, a couple to make the decision as to where their place is and, you know, their parents' place is as well. So at this moment what we're going to do, we're going to let both uh, – husband and wife, share with uh, the audience uh, any books that you all have published where the audience can be able to go and um, and um, um, get access to it, any uh, website links that you would like to share, any upcoming um, events that you may be sharing, um, any social media platforms that you would like to share so they can follow you, you can be able to do that at this time. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'll start. So, Nicole and I, we actually have three books that we've written together, and then we have, Nicole has a book that she wrote on her own for, for a special audience, but we have a book series called the Done Right Series. And um, all three of the books, so and I, I'll start. We have, um, I'll start with, well, this particular time, we talk about marriage and parenting, so I'll start there first. We have Marriage Done Right is Hard Work, but it's Worth It. It's a 31-day guide to put the fun fire and focus back into your marriage. And what we did with these individual books, we wrote them, actually devotional style, and we, we give you some topics, we give you some topics, and then we give you some questions to answer so that you can really work through it with your spouse. So it's not just say, hey, go put the fun, fine focus back in your marriage, but we actually help walk you through it. And we brought in, we did it in this particular format so that it can be easy to read and accomplish. But it's easy to read and, and go through, but we can tell you that the, the, the work is really hard, right? Um, we have another one mm-hmm. called Parenting Done Right is Hard Work, But It's Worth It. And that's a 31-day guide with practical and effective parenting tips to win the battle for your children. Because we make no mistake about it, we know that it's a battle for your children. And um, but we know it's a battle that can be won. As a matter of fact, as Nicole was saying, that for us, our children get into the age of majority and going off and being without us was our litmus test. People who watched our children for the longest time as they were growing up, they would say things like, "Wow, you guys need to write a book on parenting. A book on, and you guys do such a great job." And we always put it on the back burner. We said, yeah, we, we know they're good now, but let's see if they're good after they leave us. And then as, if they are, if they remain good, we'll feel qualified to do it. Because we, <laughs> what we didn't want to be was hypocrites, just putting stuff out there and telling you how to do it. Mm-hmm. Then you come look at our kids and say, that they, oh, my God, they come up being parents, but their kids are so raggedy. <laughs> we, we were not going to have that. And, and, and our kids, you know, they, they excel and, you know, when, I mean, look, I'll just tell you, I'm going to brag on my kids a little bit. One of the first, my oldest one, you know, he went to an IB school, graduated, and he got a master's degree. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking to that. He's working his career. My youngest son, as Nicole mentioned, he's finishing his law degree, and that's fine. But he's, he's only 23 years old, and he's going to graduate from law school this year. this year at 23 years old. So that tells you that he's been handling his business in the, in the classroom, right? And and they both are, in addition to the um, um, soulish academic um Accomplishment. They are both men of integrity, so that's that's even more important to us. But last, mm-hmm. the other book that we wrote together was Leadership Done Right is Hard Work, but it's worth it. And it's what this is. It's a, a 31-day guide with um, essential discipline to become a leader of impact from the inside out. Because one of the things that we talk about a lot of times when we think about leadership, we always think about leading other people. But Nicole and I, we we firmly believe that if you're going to be a leader. It's not about barking out orders to somebody else. It's about really, as we said, handling your business, being the most effective person that you can be. And then you bring that effective person into the marriage relationship. You take that effective person into the parent relationship. You take that effective person into the marketplace. So we really want you to be the best person that you can be. And our books, you can get them really in two places. 
We can get them on our website, EmpowerToEngage.com. That's E-M-P-O-W-E-R-T-O-E-N-G-A-G-E. Just running all together, EmpowerToEngage.com. And our books are also on Amazon. You can type in the titles or you can type in our names, Tony Nicole Davis, and the book should, uh, you should be able to purchase the books that way as well. And I also have a website. It's EveWhereAreYou.com, spelled out. Uh, based on my newly released book by the same title, Eve, Where Are You? It can be purchased wherever books are sold. And this is a new platform. And what I'm doing, I'm working with not only women who want more, who realize that they're not fulfilled in whether it's church ministry or their ministry in the secular arena. And this book will help to give them some guidance in how it is that they need to, to live a more productive and fulfilled life. But I also work with church organizations to address conscious and unconscious gender bias, which is hindering the advancement of our women. Yeah, I would even... You, you, what, you, what, you, didn't even do, you didn't even do a service, Nicole, because, okay. because you're talking about the advancement of our women. But if you think about it, our women in general, but the, and black women specifically, a lot of times what you see now, because a lot of black women are so disenchanted with the church, that they, not only are they leaving the church, but they're leaving the church and going to other religions. Right. Right? So, and, mm-hmm. and the um, answer you get is because they are so disenchanted by what's happening within the body. They don't feel valued within their own church body. So you're helping people understand, like, here's how you value the women there beyond this putting on the usher team, on the right. usher board, right? So you, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's really an a, um, important topic. It's, it's dynamic because it impacts not only the local church, but it's impacting families as well because you, you gave examples earlier about people going to the same, same, same church and all that kind of stuff, but now you have women leaving the church and also going to other religions. That's going to impact the family, and it's also impacting the church. And so it's a domino effect on, based on what's happening within the church. So, See, Prophetess Wimbush, how good of a man I have. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I have enjoyed this uh, session today. I really, really have. I, I'm, that's the reason why I kept adding more time in, uh, to the studio. I wish we had more and more time to be able to continue this uh, uh, fluently, you know, because so, I love for individuals to be able to get all of the meat and potatoes, as I stated before, because there are so many relationships that are in trouble in the church, but due to the fact that the, the leaders are not acclimated as to how to deal with their members. They think it's all about reading out the Bible. You got to be able to deal with people's health and wellness. You got to deal with their mental estates. You got to deal with their marriages. You got to deal with their children. That's the reason why the scripture taught us in the book of Nebuchadnezzar, in the book of Daniel, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar was a man that had everything under his jurisdiction. That means people didn't have to get up and go anywhere. That's the way the church supposed to be. It's supposed to be a resource uh, center. It's supposed to be an oasis where individuals can be able to come and get the training, the knowledge, the counseling that they need for their relationships. The pastor, the pastor is supposed to work for their lifestyle, uh, academics, and, and dynamics. The pastor is supposed to be able to sit down and talk to the individuals and let them know, and then also, you know, sign disclaimers too. You know, you don't need to be repeating these people's personal information if they, you know, decide to come in and you counsel them or what have you. But they, but sometimes we're so um, we're so limited uh, mentally in the in the body of Christ is that we don't know how to. Um, 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 open up to individuals. We think that we're telling our business or what have you. That don't have anything to do with it. It would be better to keep the the funds in the church, uh, you know, or keep the people in the church 
versus them, you know, going out, trying to get a, 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 a juvenile court judge, you know, that's money, and then they have to go out and pay a psychiatrist, that's money. They have right. to go out and get a marriage counselor, that's money. The the Bible teaches us, and I think it's Luke chapter 18, with the, with the God don't want us to go to the unrighteous judge. We're supposed to be judging these things in the house of Christ, in the house of God, and so, you know, that's the reason why I try to open up doors for women and I try to open up doors for couples so they can be able to come and learn and get whatever they need from um, this platform. And I will refer it to anybody else's platform as well. So thank you all both for being our guests on this afternoon uh, for this uh, Men and Women Marital Conference. And uh, is any last points that you all would like to be able to share with the audience? we got about five minutes left. You can do that at this time if you need to. Do you have anything, babe? No. Well, I would say I just want to thank you, Prophetess Winbush, because the work that you do mm-hmm. is necessary. And that's how we mm-hmm. found each other, because we're doing the same type of work. We want to see people mm-hmm. made whole want to see people thriving. We want to see their marriages and their families working, and we want to see churches be relevant in whatever it is that mm-hmm. they're offering to people and considering the needs of the people before the needs of the vision or the mission to build a ministry. It's going to be on the backs of those people, and they need to know how much they are loved, cared, and valued. So thank you so much for allowing us to be with you and for doing the work that you do. Ditto. Absolutely. Go ahead. Did you have something to say, uh, Tony? No, I just said ditto. I agree. <laughs> okay. <Say lie>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we will be having uh, Dr. Nicole Davis back with us with our women empowerment session, and that's going to be uh, on um, Saturday. And I'm not for sure. I don't have the calendar in front of me. I think it's February the sixth or something like that. We want to be able to hear from her uh, in regards to um, her book that she has released and her platform, Eve, Where Are You? Because uh, sometimes women need to be catered to, sometimes men need to be catered to, and sometimes they need to be catered to together. So hopefully we can be able to get her back on that day, which is going to be next Saturday, um, at, and I think that's at, in the afternoon as well. So um, just stay tuned for that on that platform as well. So, again, we say thank you, and you all be blessed, and have a good afternoon. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.